Are you listening? And welcome into this game recap episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines. I'm joined, as always, by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, who I know is riding high after Oregon State's big 35-32 win down in California's Central Valley at Fresno State on Saturday. I am still under the weather. I'm sure you can hear it coming through your speakers. Uh, this this might not be the prettiest podcast, but uh, work is always a little bit more fun on a Sunday after Oregon State gets a win, and, and particularly when they win in the fashion that they did last night with Jack Coletto pounding in a game-winning touchdown on the final play of the game. Angie, what did it look like? What did it sound like from the Machado household last night? Yeah, it was it was intense. You know, I mean, the the family was watching it. And uh, it was it was kind of funny because you know they they bring the the kicking the field goal unit out, and then Tedford calls that timeout, and we were kind of debating: do you just go for it? You're on the two, you have the jackhammer. Do you just go you know go for it? So we were kind of back and forth, but there was a lot of stress and tension. And then I'm not gonna lie, I did let out a little a little yell when it when they finally got in the end zone. That's the beauty of of writing for a fan site is. You know, in the press box and at interviews and press conferences, it's totally professional. You know, we're we're unbiased. But when we're just in our living rooms watching a game or when we're here talking about the game on an, you know, an instant reaction type show or, or whatnot, you know, we can we can let loose a little bit. You know, exactly. we can celebrate the fact that Oregon State won on one of the more exciting plays I think we've seen in college football this year. You know, a, a game winning touchdown on the final play where. As you mentioned, Oregon State had the field goal unit on the team. It looked like the Beavers were going to settle to to send this thing to overtime. Uh, and then Jonathan Smith has has a little bit of a change of heart. Uh, I think went with his gut in the end and and sent the offense back on the field uh, and and ultimately won that game behind the legs of Jack Coletto. So Oregon State improves to two and zero on the young 2022 season with the win. Snaps an 0 for 6 drought in Fresno, snaps a five game losing streak away from Research Stadium. A, a big win by all measurements, I, I think, for this program. Absolutely. And I, I, I do want to give a quick shout out to the fans at Fresno. I was not there, and you guys heard me a couple times talking about not wanting to go since I did go in 2001 and talking about what a horrible experience it was. I heard from a couple parents today that were down at the game who actually had nothing but good things to say. So, I'm happy that um, they've made it a little more family-friendly atmosphere. And um, so good for you. My hats are off to Fresno for being hospitable and uh, making it a, a fun experience for those that were in attendance. That's kind of what we heard on Thursday from Jackson Moore, who yeah. joined us, of course, the publisher from BarkBoard.com, the 24-7 sports affiliate for Fresno State, joined us on Thursday's preview episode of the damn podcast and said, you know, things have things have kind of, kind of tightened up a little bit at Valley yeah. Children's Stadium. Um, the atmosphere has gotten a little bit more pleasant for opposing fans. Um, we did see some some Beaver Blitz members even we in the did. crowd. Uh, we had a Jermaine Gray sighting, of course, Joshua Gray's dad. Uh, good to see him cheering on his son, who who had a big game as part of that offensive line, leading a rushing attack that 
as we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, I think established itself a little bit more than in week one against Boise State. Um, but let's let's kind of just jump in and, and look at this game at a glance with some stats. Um, you know, what areas stood out as far as, okay, uh, you know, Oregon State was able to get this going. Fresno State took this away. So Oregon State comes out with a three-point win. It's 35-32. The Beavers, the Beavers notch their victory by a field goal's margin. But yardage-wise, I think Fresno State kind of dominated this game. You know, the Fresno State offense, for the most part, got what it wanted until it got down to the red zone, and, and you saw that reflected in the yardage totals where Fresno State tallies 492 to Oregon State's 397. Yeah, and I think Oregon State's numbers obviously would be higher if uh, there weren't so many drops in that first half. There were several drop passes that I, I thought that Chance Nolan looked really solid. I mean, dropping the ball, and I, I just – that I mean, that got cleaned up. I mean, if you were in the lodge and followed that game thread, it was up, down, up, ready to bench guys. And then, oh my gosh, it, it was exciting. So, you know, Oregon State's numbers would be a little higher if, if a couple of those drops weren't dropped. Um, the rushing attack, though, Oregon State um, did manage 178 yards to Fresno State's 132, which surprised me a little bit because Fresno did um, – rack off a couple really big runs and it seemed like Oregon mm -hmm. State's running game was really kind of stilted it you know it came in small little chunks um, I felt like at one point maybe what in the third quarter they were starting to maybe kind of find a groove but it never felt like Oregon State's run game got fully established no and I think Fresno State's running game never really got established either no. but it felt like it did because of that really uh, that early long touchdown by Jordan Mims going for 42 yards. Yeah. It, it felt like Fresno State had some success there, uh, but we know the Bulldogs are, are a pass-first team, uh, and that showed up in the stats as well as Jake Hayner uh, led a passing attack that went for 360 yards. Oregon State got 219, which I, I think as we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of the offense-defense breakdowns here in a little bit um, as we go throughout the show, but I think what Chance Nolan was able to do in the second half and what the receivers yeah. did to bounce back from the drops, the inconsistencies, uh, Oregon state made up a lot of ground in the passing game in the second half. And you saw that come to fruition on the final drive where Oregon state goes, I think, you know, about 75 yards in the span of what a, a minute seconds. or so. Yeah. 45 seconds. Yeah. So, some big plays on the final two drives. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where Oregon State picked up most of its 219 yards yeah. through the air. So let, let me ask you, Carter, I, I'm curious because the thing I saw on social media and in the lodge, there were a lot of people really down on Oregon State's defense. I felt like they must be watching a different game than me. Did did Oregon? So they gave up six explosive plays of over 20 yards in the entire game, two of which came on that last Fresno State drive. But I thought defense played really really solid. Um, I'm, I'm curious about what your take, I mean, do they have some things to clean up? Yes. But um, you know, that last possession, they were blitzing too, that like entire bringing the entire house. But I felt like so many fans felt completely different than I did watching this defense. And I, I see a completely revamped. I, I mean, I feel like this team last year at the beginning of the season probably would have lost this game by three touchdowns. You look at the numbers and I mean, Fresno State moved the ball, you know, about mm -hmm. 500 yards. Um, I, I think that's concerning. I, I think the fact that the secondary and the pass rush weren't working in tandem enough to limit Fresno State to fewer than 360 yards through the air uh, is concerning as well. But to your point, the fact that Oregon State bent but didn't break 
and forced Fresno State into six field goal attempts. Four of those were converted. Um, I think it came up big when it needed to. And in the past, you know, before Trent Bray was appointed to defensive coordinator, when this was still a Tim Tibosar system, that bend but don't break mentality was was kind of what fueled the defense. And so we yeah. saw a lot of that. And I think that is where a lot of the fans' concern is coming from. You know, I think yeah. it's it's reminiscent of a lot of the uh, the defensive breakdowns that we had seen before Trent Bright was appointed. So I, I get where that concern is coming from. But I think that there is something to be said for Oregon State really locking things down and coming up with huge stops time and time and yeah. time again uh, when it needed it most. And, you know, you're going on the road to a hostile environment against an offense that's going to move the ball on everybody it plays this year. And so I think just to do whatever you can to limit points scored, that's a win. Yeah, I mean, Jake Hayner's a great quarterback. I see Cookie Bot Dynasty. Defense was great. We made a team with an elite quarterback have to take five field goal attempts. And that's, I think that's something that, like I said, the coaching, the coaching staff is going to look at this and see all kinds of things, areas to improve. But I just didn't see all the kind of the disdain toward the defense on social media. Yeah, Connor Johnson in the YouTube chat also makes a point saying that Hayner yeah. just didn't make mistakes. And and that's a segue into our um the, the next stat category that we highlight here on a weekly basis is the turnover category. Yeah. So this game, as far as turnovers go, was as clean as it can be. Neither team turned the ball over. Oregon State did have one fumble, uh, but Deshaun Fenwick recovered it. So no turnovers, no no interceptions on either side. No fumbles were recovered by the opposing team. Uh, and I think for Oregon State, that was obviously a point of emphasis offensively after week one was to limit them. Uh, but defensively, I, I do think it is a little disappointed, a little disappointing to see the Beavers come up short of, of taking the ball away. I, I agree, um, because I think Oregon State got excited there. The fans did that this team was going to be maybe a turnover. But like like others in the in the chat have said, Jake Hayner is an NFL quarterback, and um, they really dinked and dunked their way for the most part down the field. Um, Jalen Jalen Moreno Cropper, another NFL future NFL talent. Um, that was a, a really solid offense Oregon State played. So, um, yeah, it would have been fun to see a, a, a turnover or two, but Fresno State was actually playing to avoid that situation. The last category that we'll highlight here before we move on to the game flow uh, segment of this episode is pocket pressure and, yeah. and the push from the front seven. So tackles for loss and sacks and, and quarterback hurries are, uh, I think, the best ways to measure those. And so when you look at what the two teams did there, Again, another category where it was pretty even. So Oregon State uh, racked up five tackles for loss, only sacked Jake Hayner once. Fresno State, meanwhile, sacked Chance Nolan twice uh, on its five tackles for loss. So similar numbers from the front sevens, but I feel like when you were watching the game, it felt like Oregon State was getting pressure. It, it felt like it just wasn't getting home. So It was. I mean, there were several times in that third and fourth quarter that Hayner had to throw the ball away because the pocket was collapsing and no one was open. Yeah, I mean, the quarterback threes. No, go ahead. Oh, but but I I know on Thursday I I spoke about it. After watching them play Cal Poly, I really thought that the offensive line looked like it could be a very weak weak point for Fresno. Mm. And and while they weren't as solid as Oregon State's offensive line, I didn't think, they did a, a pretty solid job of giving him protection. But Hayner is just so good at getting that ball out quickly and making a quick decision. 
Yeah, the point I was going to make there was the quarterback hurries were there for Oregon State. Yeah. You know, they pressured Hayner five times, uh, but only to, to to only sack him once, I, I think, is a disappointment considering yeah. what you just said. We expected this matchup of Oregon State's revitalized front seven against Fresno State's uh, pretty weak offensive line. I mean, by all accounts, that's the weakness of that team. We figured that was a matchup that Oregon State yeah. should dominate. Um, but, you know, one of the keys was, if it does dominate, then Jake Hayner's not going to have as much time to operate. Passing game's not going to be firing on all cylinders, but the fact that the Beavers didn't get home, I think is a big reason why you saw uh, Jake Hayner rack up almost 400 yards through the air. When you think, you consider that though, a, a big chunk of that was, I mean, probably what, 70 yards was on that last possession. So um, it was it was pretty even. Well, I guess Oregon State also racked up a chunk too, but no, I, I was really impressed with what we saw, though, from Hayner. I, no, I mean, complete credit to him, though. Great quarterback. That's the game at a glance. We're going to go in-depth here in this next segment, the game flow segment where we look at the scoring plays, turnovers. Uh, of course, there weren't any this week, but um, you know, we go down the line uh, in a sequence and, and point out the plays that stood out to us and, and what we thought went well, what we thought didn't work there. Uh, later on in the show, we'll highlight the good and the bad from Oregon State's perspective. Uh, and then we we have some injury updates, no news as, as far as, you know, the ones that occurred throughout the game. Um, that'll come tomorrow on, on Monday during Jonathan Smith's press conference when we might get some clarity on the severity of those. Um, and then to close out the show, we'll revisit some of the, the keys to the game that we provided on Thursday. Again, I want to shout out uh, all of the, the viewers who are watching us live on YouTube right now. Thanks for joining us. You guys are absolutely blowing up the chat right now. And you we're guys are try awesome. To get this to is these, so fun. We're going to try to get to these comments as, as often as we can, but we do have a really full show this week. Uh, I, I also want to thank everybody who's listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart, you name it. Uh, we are there. And if you know somebody is having a tough time finding recent episodes, uh, help them find the new show page, please. I'm still hearing from from listeners that they're having trouble finding it. Um, this transition to the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network wasn't the smoothest on that end, um, but I know that, that more and more people are finding the, the new episodes, so that is good to hear. But let's jump into the game flow section of this episode, where we start with a three and out for both teams. So similar to last week against Boise State, Oregon State's defense comes out on its first possession uh, and forces the three and out. But first, it was the offense that struggled to move the ball. And I think right there, you kind of got an indication that, all right, this is going to be back and forth. Nothing's going to come easy for both sides. Um, and and maybe it's going to be a little more low scoring than than some people thought. Yeah, and I, I, I thought early on, I really felt that Oregon State was mixing in the, the running backs a little maybe too liberally. And that's going to be a question I think we should ask this week when we have availability is, kind of their thought process on subbing out because it was really early on. It was every play, a different running back. We saw some jam Griffin. We saw Damian Martinez. Um, the Beavs were without Trey Lowe, And I think they really missed him on third downs this week. Um, yes. Uh, Deshaun Fenwick kind of ended the the night as the, the leading rusher and 19 carries, but um, it didn't feel like I said that the guys were able to get kind of into a rhythm until later in the second, second half. But um it did it that first that first two series it was like okay defense came to play and it's going to be a little bit of an offensive struggle the first points scored by either team came from jack coletto the jack hammer himself on a two-yard touchdown which 
as we know, became a theme. Uh, it, it bookended the scoring. So Jack Coletto scored on the, on that two-yard touchdown to get things rolling uh, midway through the first quarter and then, of course, scored the game-winning touchdown uh, in a similar fashion. Fresno State answered pretty quickly uh, with, uh, again, the, yes. the big play that Angie mentioned just a few moments ago, the 42-yard touchdown from Jordan Mims. I was... Yeah, I, I think it was a little reminiscent of some of the big plays Oregon State allowed last year where you just see you know, a, a gap open up in the middle of that defensive line. There's not a linebacker or safety there to plug the gap. Uh, and then you, know, you just see a, a, a quick running back break through that second level of the Oregon State defense. So it was concerning for me to see that, but I think Oregon State after that really locked things down in the running game. They did. And if you're watching it on TV, they actually showed it was actually Katano Ladapo who had missed his gap, his assignment. And that's what led to that. But Katana ended up having a career night, 15 mm-hmm. tackles, 15 but, tackles. Um, huge night for him. But yes, that Jordan Mims and that guy was quick. He he made his way. But I think Beaver fans might have if you were in the lodge, you that was maybe one of the, the downward turns into the about, oh, no, here we go again. I mean, Jordan Mims is an all-Mountain West caliber yeah. player. I, I think he was preseason first-team all-Mountain West. Um, that, that's a very good player. And, you know, good players are going to make good plays. And, and we saw that uh, from Fresno State's standouts. Jake Hayner was firing on all cylinders. Jalen Moreno-Cropper was causing problems for the Oregon State defensive backfield. And, and Jordan Mims did have that touchdown. But to the point I just made... Outside of that, and again, this is this has been the trend of, of the Oregon State defense uh, as far as stopping the run goes through two weeks. Outside of one big play, there is nothing there. And and for the Bulldogs, you know, I, I think, shoot, I, I lost the number there, but um, there it is. Outside of that play, Fresno State had 120 rushing yards, yeah. which you will take. Absolutely. And, and of course, you have to stop the big play and, you know, yeah. the play happened and it's part of the stats. But again, when you look at the full body of work, I think the run defense, again, just it just shows that it has made steps forward and, and that those big plays are going to be fewer and, and further between. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's going to happen. I mean, both teams, it's an it's a 90 minute game. Big plays are going to happen. Try to limit those as much as you can and and try to have as many big plays as you can. So um I, I did. I, I know it's next on the list. Silas Bolden had his first touchdown as a beef. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised that that was his first one? Um, a, a little bit, just because I think we have a little bit of recency bias on our yeah. end, where where you and I have seen him, you know, become one of fall Oregon camp, State's top camp. playmakers in in spring camp and fall camp. You know, he was the MVP of the spring game with two touchdowns. Um, I, I think you and I agreed he was maybe one. the most productive yeah. receiver in fall camp. So. A little bit of recency bias on our end makes it feel like not as surprising. But yes, I, I, I do think it is a, a little shocking that, uh, you know, here we are. Silas Bolden's what a redshirt sophomore at this awesome. point. And, you know, it took this long to see him break a big play. But uh, to his credit, he did. He, he, his number was called. Uh, he comes in on a reverse play. It wasn't a true fly sweep. So no. we can't we can't call it a fly sweep, but it was a little reverse play. Uh, he comes around the back and, you know, and, and loops off to the left side of the field. And I, I think we saw his high end sprint speed on display there on that 36 yard rushing touchdown. Absolutely. That was so fun to see. Little trickeration. Do you think Oregon State's still keeping the playbook pretty vanilla, as vanilla as they can keep it? 
you know, I haven't really thought about this, but I feel like no, just because yeah. what we saw last week from that on that trick play where, you know, John Dunmore's throwing a, mm-hmm. a cross field pass to Trey Lowe uh, this week, the reverse to to Bolden. I mean, I feel like we've seen a lot of not necessarily trickeration, but I, I think we've just seen a lot of what Oregon State's offense wants yeah. to, you know, wants to try to establish. Yeah. Um, it does. It feels very it, it feels right to see yes. somebody with Bolden on the back of his jersey running for a touchdown, though. Right. I mean, yeah, it totally. I, does. I, I had flashes of, of Victor Bolden. On yeah. The play. Like I said, I was just super surprised because I checked in on social media during the game and his mom had, had put on on Instagram. That was his first touchdown. And it kind of took yeah. me back for a minute. But you're right. The recency bias in that we kind of name have named him the MVP of spring fall. Um, three field goals by um, the Fresno State. Four of six on the night. Were you surprised they missed missed a couple? I mean, anytime you're attempting six field goals, I, I think you're going to have a miss here or there. It's, you know, this is the college game after all. I, I've been watching the NFL all day. Here Seriously. we are at, at 5.30 p.m. on a Sunday, and I've seen about 10 missed field goals already in the NFL. So, um, no, I, I think Abraham Montano came in and and did his job, you know, converted on 66% of those, uh, hit four of them, gave Fresno State the lead with, I, I believe it was his third one. Yes. Um, so the Bulldogs, 14 yeah, with 10 minutes left in the third quarter. The Bulldogs had that two point lead um, early in the third quarter because of, of what he was doing for them. And, you know, I, I talked about Oregon state's defense um, bending, but not breaking and coming up with red zone stops. Well, on the, on the flip side, if you're not scoring touchdowns, you better hope that you're converting with some sort of, uh, of points there. Uh, when you get down into the red zone and, and that's where a, a player like Montano comes in big yeah. uh, with his four field goals. And I think put Fresno state in as good of a position to win as he could have possibly done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're stopping them from getting touchdowns, that's, I mean, that's crazy. And then, so Fresno state then early on in the third quarter has a two point lead. Then Jordan Mim scores an 11 yard rushing TD that makes it a two possession bulldog lead. Beavers return or answer with two minutes later with a Fenwick two yard TD. So this is when things kind of started, not getting crazy, but just starting to uh, to uh, kind of settle in. Bulldogs had to settle for another field goal, so they are up 26-21 early in the fourth quarter. You think it's done yet? I mean, are you kind of starting to settle in? Like, ooh, they're up by they're up by five now, or did you never lose hope? Well, I, I think when Fenwick scored that that touchdown and you know Oregon State put together a drive when it needed to. It's it's down pos- two possessions. It, it need it needs points of some sort and it marches all the way down the field and, and you cap it off with a touchdown. At that point I said, okay, Oregon State's not going anywhere. When I felt like this game was in the most danger of of going, you know, lopsided one way or of things slowing down, I thought it was after Mims 11 yard touchdown run uh, to put, to put Fresno state up by, I believe it was nine at that point. I mean, that Um, third quarter, it felt like momentum had totally shifted. Yeah. And I I think, you know, in an environment where you've got 40,000 people on your side and and where Oregon state has never won and where the Beavers have struggled in the last year. um, Well, I mean, more than, more than just the last year, but of course, Oregon state losing five straight away from Reeser. Um, I, I think that's where it felt like it could get out of hand, but to Oregon State's credit, responded with the touchdown. Um, so you left off it at the Bulldogs settling for another field goal. Yes. They're up five early in the fourth quarter, and 
at that point, Fresno State had been to the red zone five times, but it only had one touchdown. And and so I think that's where you're thinking, wow, okay, this Oregon State yeah. defense has done its job. This game is still within reach, and, and largely that is a product of the defense. Now we just need to see the offense come up with a big play. And sure enough, Treshawn Harrison, who I, I think <laughs> I, I don't want to I don't want to bash him like, you know, I, I understand it. A lot of this is mental and, and drops happen. We saw it a lot with Luke Musgrave early in his career. I think part of it's mental, but he had a short term memory and, you know, he put it behind him. He came back out of the locker room and, and came up with one of the biggest plays of this game a 17 yard screen pass where he shifted throughout the entire Fresno state defense, made a couple of guys miss with some juke moves, had a spin move in there. And then uh, showed off his speed at the end to, to kind of set the edge and, and get around the corner uh, and find the end zone. So Harrison, after struggling with drops in the first yeah. half comes back and actually gives Oregon state the lead with under two minutes left. And I thought that was a big moment for Oregon state's offense where things hadn't been going its way. And, this particular player had been struggling, but all yeah, of that yeah. changed with one play where Oregon yeah. State takes the lead and he kind of writes the ship. Yeah, and, and Nick Nick Volker says, too, you have to give credit to Fenwick on that drive because he led um, that to that Harrison TD that he was on a mission to move the ball, and and I did it. Fenwick mm-hmm. really started moving the change a little bit there, um, and, the, and the beef stuck with him. They were kind of finding that rhythm. Fenwick was the guy, um, but yeah, I mean – Harrison, I don't know if it's like you said, mental, if it's concentration, but you know, he missed that surefire TD at Boise State early on. The couple drops, but it was a whole team effort. I mean, Micaiah Tung, his number was yeah. called. He had a big drop. Um, Tyjon Lindsay had one in his hands that he dropped. It, mm-hmm. um, that's something I think that they really need to shore up here. But to to your credit, Carter, that's something we've talked about all fall camp is that the the consistency from the wide receivers is going to be maybe what wins or loses some games for this team in the past. Our concern was the receiver's ability to get open Open. and and get separation. And I think we've seen them take a step forward in that department this year. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, now that they're getting open, they're having trouble holding the ball. Um, And I, I think for the wide receiver position in particular, that's an area that you have to feel confident about their ability to shore up because after all, their job is to catch the ball. There's a reason they're on a D one roster. It's because they're good at catching the ball. Um, So I think otherwise you become a defensive back. Yeah. You have brick hands, you become a DB. Um, So I think, I think they've done the hard part in their improvement of, of, you know, more consistently getting open and um, becoming more crisp in their routes. Now it's just about finishing the play. Yes. So we are now in the fourth quarter. Beavs are up 29-26 with a minute 50 left in the game. How are you feeling right now? I think you and I were texting about this point. Yeah, I think my initial thought was, okay, this is way too much time for Jake Hayner. Um, you know, obviously, if you're playing against a team that their strength is is to run the ball and, you know, to kind of to wear you down uh, on, you know, in, in the trenches, you're thinking, okay, maybe a minute and 50 isn't enough time. We might be safe here, but for a team whose strength is to air it out and, and to make big plays through the air, you're thinking, great one fifty. that's way too much time for an NFL quarterback. Who's got elite receivers, great speed on the edges. Um, and sure enough, 
it, you know, that that Harrison touchdown was one of three lead changes in the final two minutes because you're seeing two high level offenses go at it. So Fresno State takes just 45 seconds to answer uh, a 45 yard pass, which I really want to I, I really want to discuss yeah. this one. Yeah, um, yeah. Set up the four yard touchdown from Jake Hayner to Eric Brooks, which put Fresno State back on top. But I, I think the key to that drive was the 45 yard pass that set them up in the red zone. Yes. And it was a play that had me scratching my head because I was like, all right, Oregon state hasn't been getting home on Jake Hayner all day. The blitz has been effective, but not to the point where it's resulted in any negative plays. So to send the house and to leave one safety back there, when you know, Fresno state's going to try to go over the top, I felt like it was a big risk to to assume or or to hope that you're going to sack Hanner or or force a, a throwaway there. Yeah, I mean that was, I you knew they were going to blitz, but they brought everybody. Yeah, everybody came. So I mean, I think a, I think Jaden Grant was about forty yards downfield. He was yeah, he was kind of like the as home the run valve, safety and, and everybody valve. else rushed. Everybody to the went. Um, you know, I mean, they had their best luck, I guess, of the whole night with the Katana Ladapo safety blitz, delayed safety yeah. blitz, but. Yeah, they knew I, that one had me scratching my head too because you hadn't had any luck getting to Hayner most of the night. I don't know what they thought they were going to do different. But okay, now just to play devil's advocate a little bit because I was scratching my head there too. But what if Oregon State holds them, holds them, holds them, and then doesn't have time to come back down and score if they ended up scoring? Yeah, I mean, it's very true. If, I mean, if Fresno State happen, is going but... to score on that drive, you want them to do it early on in, in the minute and 50 that they have left. But, um, but obviously, the goal there defensively is to yeah so that's i'd love i can't wait to is to hold him out of the end zone i can't wait for wednesday when we get to talk to the defensive coaches because i'm just curious what i don't know if we'll get trent this this week but i'm curious as to what that thought process was um to bring everybody poor jane grant was like back there literally on an island um yeah it was like i said i'm sure there was a reason behind it but at the time it just didn't seem like the smart move yeah, once Fresno State got down into the red zone, here you are thinking again, okay, well, Oregon State's been yeah. great here all game. Maybe they can hold them out. Uh, but that four-yard touchdown to Eric Brooks put Fresno State back up by three. But only three because the, fee- the, the extra point was wide right. And that turned out to be a, a key play in this game because it gave Oregon State the opportunity, if it wanted to, to kick spoiler a field goal. alert, it didn't, to kick a field goal yeah. and, and potentially send the game to overtime which sets us up for the final drive and the final play of the game. Oregon State has a minute and five seconds to go the length of the field. Um, it does so. Chance Nolan looked, uh, he was crisp. He was putting the ball yeah. exactly where it needed to be. And on this play, his receivers came up big. Josiah Irish deserves a shout out. Yes. Um, you know, his number was called in a big time position and he came up with a catch. Luke Musgrave on the sideline came up with a, I think, 24-yard catch to get into the red zone. Two very big plays by the receiving core and a bunch of great passes by Nolan on a drive where he needed to be crisp. I thought Nolan looked good all night. I, I mean, I I have been critical of Nolan over the past. I just didn't know if he was the right guy. Um, I've been very, very impressed with him the first two weeks of the season. But yes, Josiah Irish, that was kind of a surprise that, that his mm. number got called. Um, like you said, Luke Musgrave, seriously, that guy has elevated his game in the past year since about Oregon on into this year. So yeah, Luke Gress Musgrave is a grown man, um, but we're going to need, you know, Oregon state needs him because they don't have a lot of the bigger targets. Um, and then, yeah, then we're down. Do you kick the field goal 
Oregon State sends their field goal unit out. What were you thinking then, Carter? Because like it was it was my son Jack and Eric and I, and we're sitting there and we're, you know, my son Jack, I think it was, said, go for the field goal. Take it. I was saying, no, you're on the road, you're on the two-yard line. You go for the win here. Your defense is gassed, go for the win and get home. What were your what was going through your head? I didn't have any doubt in my mind that Jonathan Smith was going to end up going for the win. I think the precedent that he has set over the last four and a half, you know, going on this, this being his fifth year now is that, (coughs) excuse me, Oregon state's going to go for it on fourth and 10 every now and then Oregon state's going to, you know, throw an onside kick at you every now and then it's going to go for it on fourth down at the goal line instead of taking the three points. And in a situation where, like you said, you're on the road, um, you know, you're playing from behind. This isn't like a, okay, you know, do we go to overtime or do we, you know, potentially get out of here with a win type situation? This is, this is do or die. This is, if you do not score a touchdown here, you lose. And I feel like Jonathan Smith is the kind of coach to want to keep his foot on the gas and play for the win in those positions. Sure enough, he sent the offense on the field. Luke Musgrave came off with, with an injury and and that allowed him the opportunity to change his mind but when Jeff Tedford iced the kicker, called that timeout, I, I just knew. I, I felt like, man, Jonathan in his gut, is there's something in there saying, go for it, go for it, go for it. And what do you know? That, that you second know opportunity, I think he went with his gut. And, yeah. I mean, Jack Coletto, it, it paid off. What, it what's paid funny, off. too, is like even the announcers, like early in the game, they were like, when we were talking to Coach Tedford this week, he said, anytime number 12 comes in the game, you expect him to have the ball. I mean, yeah. It's not like when Coletto's in the game, you're wondering, well, maybe he'll have the – no, you know the ball's going to him, and he's still – I mean, and I love that he went outside. He bounced outside, but he really the, – the offensive line, stellar that play. They opened up a hole he could have gone straight ahead to. Well, I, think I just if you got have... totally buzzed by hummingbirds. Uh, Angie's sitting out on her uh, on your, on her back porch if you're not watching us on YouTube right now. Yeah, sorry. Um, but – no, I, I think if you have a player like Jack Coletto on your team who is, I mean, he's the, he's the human three-yard pickup. You know, he's he's good for two to four yards anytime he touches the ball, uh, and, and that's why he's so effective in that in those short-yarded situations. If you've got somebody like that on your roster, I think you just trust him. I mean, Coletto's done nothing but produce in those situations throughout his entire career, so I don't think there's a reason to... I mean, I don't even think there was room for hesitation in sending him out there. I, I think that is just, that's the bread and butter Jack Coletto situation. We need two yards in a big way. Can we trust you to do it? And the answer about 99% of the time is is yes. So Carter, I want to I bring something up here because this, is, this really stood out to me watching it on TV. Because when we're watching in the press box, we don't see all this. But when they showed the sideline and Oregon State was down by the, by the three points and there was a minute five left in the game. I was blown away by just how calm and confident not only the coaches, yeah. but the players all looked it. It was striking how different that this team is compared to teams of the past that we've covered that might've been panicking a little bit or looking they, there was no look of concern or worry. It was like, okay, let's go down and score a touchdown. That's the Jonathan Smith mentality of, you know, we're, we're going to stay level-headed. We're not going to get too high. We're not to get, not going to get too low. Um, and, and we have seen that culture be built in the Valley of Football even, Center over the last five game, years. Even post-game, Smith looked just, like, stoic. Like, no smile, just mm-hmm. walking across the field, like, done. Just there doing doing business, doing yeah. what they showed up to do. Yeah. 
that is the uh, that's the final play of the game. Oregon State wins it, 35-32 in Fresno. We're going to come back on the second half of the show, talk about what went well for the Beavers, what didn't go so well, uh, it, update some of the injuries from the game, and, and revisit our keys from Thursday. But first, I want to remind everybody who's listening to us on YouTube and across your network of, of favorite podcast apps, you name it, you can find us. Uh, that beaverblitz.com is the place to be during Oregon State's football season. We have grown exponentially over the last couple of weeks uh, as the season has taken off, and we want to thank all of you, the readers and the listeners, for joining us uh, for the ride. We're here to provide you the content that you're hungry for throughout the season, interviews with players and coaches, matchup breakdowns, our predictions for every game week, and, I mean, we had a blast bringing Jackson Moron from barkboard.com last week. Those expert insights uh, are, are top tier and you're, and you're not going to find that anywhere else uh, with the access that we have to the 24 seven sports network group of experts. What went well for Oregon state down in Fresno? I, I want to start with the defense here and I've talked about this, you, you mentioned it, but the fact that the defense was just so lights out in the red zone, I, I think is the reason that Oregon state won this game. I, I think the fact that, you know, while Fresno State had success the rest of the way down the field, uh, that the Beavers held them to field goals three times of the five times that they scored, that's that's a difference in the game right there. Totally different. And like I said, this team three years ago, two years ago, probably would have given up or lost by 21, just, just the way it would have worked out. Um, huge. It's a road game um, in hostile environment. A, I mean, one of the best Beaver teams ever to play in 2001. Okay, maybe not ever, but coming off of the best season and still had a ton of that talent, couldn't even come close. Um, huge, huge improvement. And then that kind of comes into the next point, which is the run defense. 42-yard um, TD by Mims. Um, that was like the biggest you know run they gave up. 29 carries, 132 yards, two TDs. I mean, if I would tell you that Oregon State would give up 132 yards on 29 carries, you would think that's a totally acceptable um, outing for the defense. Yeah, I think, you know, the big plays have been there the last couple of weeks. Obviously, against Boise State, it was Taylor Green taken off for, and I, I want to say, 74 yards for that touchdown. This week, it's a running back who finds a gap, you know, through the through the line there. So there's stuff to clean up. The running game is not perfect. We didn't expect it to be perfect, but we certainly expected it to be better than it had been in recent years. And I, I think even within the context of these big plays occurring every now and then, we can both agree, and I think everybody who's watching can agree, that when the opposing team hands the ball off, we're not expecting this thing to go for 15 yards. And when it's second and 10 and and you're you need the defense to to stay ahead of schedule and and force a third and long they're doing that because the offense is only running for two three four yards of carry whereas in the past you know I, I think we saw a lot of teams pick up five six seven yards every time they were getting the ball yeah and i think i mentioned this in she said that'll come up on monday but you, know, you have to remember the season's long. It's 12 games, 12 rungs to the ladder. Oregon State's only on that second rung. And I, I think it's easy as fans to, you know, you win and it's like, well, we didn't win by enough or we didn't, you, you kind of gnash on some of the bad that went wrong, but this is a long season. And honestly, when bad things happen, and if you can still come out with a win, 
that just gives the guys, the coaches, something to work toward and get better at. Um, so when they see it again, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's a long, long season. So, um, yeah, it wasn't always pretty, but um, you just hope that every every game they get a little bit better. That was one of my takeaways from week one was that you know, Oregon State had all of these penalties offensively, which, mind you, they cleaned up cleaned very up. well in week yes. two. Uh, they had a couple of turnovers, I, I think three offensively. They had all of these areas that they yes. wanted to to improve upon, but they still won by 17. Going down to, to Fresno, you know, the defense wasn't perfect. It gave up a couple of big plays. It didn't hold Jake Hayner in check as much as it wanted to, but it still won. And we're seeing we're seeing more often in in these two games um, the big plays and the mistakes and and all of these things that in the past would have changed the game. Yes, um, we're seeing them become almost non-factors because Oregon State is making up for it in other areas, and I think and the, that and the confidence. is one of the. I think that's one of the biggest yeah. signs of improvement from this yeah. program and the confidence it gives them. Then to know, I mean, winning on the road's hard, and I think it gets to be kind of almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh my gosh, we've lost five straight. Oh my gosh, we've lost. We've never mm-hmm. won in Fresno. So when you can kind of get over that hump and even overcome mistakes, it gives you confidence going into the next game. I lose you. Oh, there you are. Nope, okay. I'm here. Um, a- another area that that I wanted to highlight that I think went really well for Oregon State was the passing game in the second half. So we've talked about the drops that were issues. Um, you know, I-, I think Oregon State was really trying to establish the run and and at times shied away from the pass, which was opposite from last week in that first half. Uh, it, it couldn't sustain drives. You know, the, the big play wasn't there at all, uh, unlike uh, against Boise State. And so you saw the passing game just kind of become a little bit of an afterthought where Chance Nolan goes three of nine for 33 yards in the first half. I mean, I, I looked at the stat sheet halfway through and said, and this is like the complete opposite of what we saw a week ago. Um, so to see that completely flip in the second half, Nolan racked up almost 200 yards in the second half alone. Um, he finished 14 of 27 on the night, which you know is is only slightly above 50. percent But I think you know if if the passes that six need drops. to be caught, if there the passes that drops. need to be yeah. caught are being caught, you know he's he's closer to 70 percent on yeah, the night. Yeah, yeah, your six drops that would put him at 20 of 27, and probably yeah, I, closer I think, to 300 yards. I think Nolan's night was a lot better than the numbers showed. Yeah. Um, I, I know he underthrew a deep ball to, to Anthony Gould in the end zone that, that would have been a touchdown probably yeah. if, it, if it was placed on the money, but um, it, it was a deep throw that again, you know, in the past might be picked off or might sail 10 yards out of the yeah. end zone. Um, we just haven't seen chance Nolan miss to the extent that he missed last year. And so even on a night where he goes 14 of 27 and you say, man, Nolan didn't really look great. We're sitting here saying, no, I think Chance Nolan had a pretty yeah. good game. I, I think his numbers just don't tell the whole story. Exactly. You know, it's, it's it kind of stinks when a receiver gets credited for drops too when the, the ball was there and should have been a catch. Yeah. So that that ball, though, I, I do have to say the coverage on that underthrown ball to Gould was played was perfectly by Fresno coverage. State. Um, because even then, I thought if, if the coverage was even slightly less, right? I mean, I mean that guy was on him. So, um, yeah, I. I can't complain. I thought Nolan second half was money. I thought he was money's first half, but he had drops thrown in there. So um, yeah, three for nine for 33 yards looks horrendous. But then when you finish 14, 27, 219, and then I looks have to give, better, yeah. I have to give props too, because I was critical of Harrison. He's dropped now a couple, 
against Boise State, a couple early against uh, Fresno, but he bounced back in a big way. And then, you know, also Luke Musgrave had some big, big, big catches. The not so good from Saturday's game. Uh, again, the drop passes, okay. particularly in the first half. It's a trend that needs to be cleaned up. I, I don't know how they're going to approach it. I'm I'm fairly certain they they are aware that this is like the biggest <laughs> thing that's holding back the offense. So trust me, they're going to work on it. I just don't know what that looks like. Um, but another area that, that we haven't touched on as much is that the defense didn't force any turnovers. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we were, we were dialed in on, okay, well, can they pressure Jake Hayner? Can they uh, stay glued to receivers? But I don't think we really emphasized the importance of turning Fresno state over when we were previewing this game. But I think that would have been a great way to kind of separate a little bit. You know, when Oregon State did have the lead, Fresno State was right there and it always clawed back. It felt like if the Beavers could force a turnover, you know, and take a two possession lead or or build a lead that was, you know, in the double digits, that game would have had um, a little bit more of a secure feeling. But the yeah. fact that Oregon State, uh, you know, defensively didn't force any turnovers, I just felt like Jake Hayner had too many opportunities to make plays. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I think maybe we took it a little for granted after the five turnovers against Boise yeah. State that maybe this team was going to win those battles, and it wasn't. But credit than Fresno State, they were they were taking away the deep ball most of the time. It was mm-hmm. just some dinks and dunks across the field. So, um, but still, it would have been nice to have one or two. I kept thinking every once in a while, I'd I'd think, okay, now would be a perfect time for a turnover. Just didn't didn't happen. And Hayner is one of the more accurate quarterbacks out there. I mean, I, I think he's an NFL caliber player. Um, in, in week one against Cal Poly, he completed like 80 to 85% of his passes. So uh, he's a guy who is not easy to turn over. Uh, but that brings us to this point where I think had Oregon State gotten more pressure on him, I think maybe you see some more errant throws or, or maybe you see a strip sack like we saw in week one. Um, but Oregon State just couldn't get home. And, and I don't really know... I, I don't know where the disconnect was because like I said earlier, I felt like they were getting pressure. They just weren't finishing the play. They were a step, a step too slow. And, and I don't know if that's a credit to Fresno state's offensive line for holding their blocks long enough. I don't know if it's a credit to Jake Hayner for being just mobile enough uh, or, or for releasing the ball quickly, or if it's a testament to Oregon state's rushers, just not being quick enough. I, I don't know. Did you see anything there in the pass rush that was like, okay, this is why Fresno state's able to, to avoid the sack when, when Oregon state's blitzing and, and getting into the backfield with regularity. Yeah. They, they did a really good job of securing the edge first and foremost. I, mm-hmm. I think they did a, a super job. I think what I saw from Hayner is that he got rid of the ball very quickly. He didn't sit around. He wasn't, they were, the plays were designed. The scheme was designed to be quick, to be quick hitter. So think about Oregon state when they've had maybe less efficient offensive lines. What do we say? We need to do some bubble screens. You need to get the ball off into space to kind of mask those deficiencies with the O-line and and Fresno did a good job with that. I also didn't see Corey Stover. So I don't know if he was out. I I thought about that later, not that he would have made a difference, but you know, he's a big, you know, force off the end. And I, I didn't check the, um, I meant to check the, um, I would argue that Corey Stover would make a difference if he's out there. I I think, you but know, I, just I, having another body on that pass rush and, and somebody who we've seen play at a pretty high level in practice. I'm going to pull that up, the, this participation report, because I thought of that early. I thought of it last night at like one in the morning. And yeah. Then I, um, 
I, I, I have the defensive stats pulled up, and, and Stover is not in the stat sheet. So I, okay. I'm curious to see if he shows up in the participation Yeah, chart. I'm going to look at the participation because um, I don't think I saw him. We did see Sione Lolohea, yeah. which we weren't expecting to see. Which we'll get to in the injury tracker here in just a second. But to, to close the... Uh, to close the segment here on, on what didn't go well for Oregon State, well, well, Angie's pulling that up. Yeah, I'm pulling. Um, I, I think I just want to mention that you know that Oregon State's secondary, of course, was a huge strength in Week okay. One, and and oh, go ahead, you have oh, an answer sorry. for us. Yeah, no participation from Corey Sober, okay. so um, that'll be a definite question for tomorrow um, when we have Smith because he did not play. So I don't know yeah. if he did not make the trip. We'll talk about that tomorrow on Monday um, when when we meet with Coach Smith. To, uh, to to kind of finish on my point here, you know, Oregon State secondary played so well against Boise State, had a couple of takeaways, um, you know, pretty much locked everything down as far as the deep ball goes. I felt like it was a little disappointing to see them not take away the, you know, the the crossing routes and the and, and the deep ball. I mean, I, I think Hayner had the options that he wanted. Uh, to your point, you know, he a lot of his completions came on checkdowns. But uh, again, you know, Oregon State just wasn't there. Um, a, a lot of the Oregon State or a lot of these completions ended with tackles right after the catch. So mm-hmm. so the Beavers were on the receivers, but they just weren't, you know, they weren't knocking the ball away or or they weren't deterring Hayner from throwing it. Um, and, and I thought that was a little disappointing after the performance we saw from that group in week one. Yeah, and that's like I said, that's going to be something they work on. I, I saw a, um, a, a comment here that their offense reminded um, now maybe not as downfield, but a little bit air raid, a little bit uh, Mike Leach esque. So um, they'll have a chance to go up against an offense very similar when they play Washington State later in the year. Yeah, Washington State, of course, still running, uh, you know, somewhat of a of an aerial Modified. attack offense yeah. under under coach Dickert up there but um that kind of rounds out the the not so good for Oregon State as since Angie kind of you know led us into this injury segment Sorry. Uh, let's just <laughs> no it's it's perfect timing we'll we'll jump right in here so uh, we're going to add Corey Stover to the list of of individuals who did not play of course we don't know if that's an injury we're just assuming but uh, we'll get some clarity there tomorrow on Monday but the players that we know did not play so running back Trey Lowe didn't travel with the team, undisclosed injury. Um, Isaiah Newell also in the running back did yeah. not. He was not available. I, I don't think we know if that was an injury or not. Yeah, he's um, on my list to ask about on yeah, Monday. But but two running backs who were unavailable there. Alton Julian didn't come in yet. I'm still he thinking. He was suited up though. Yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking USC, you know, conference opener is, is probably a good time to expect to see him come back. Uh, but one player who who did return from injury is Sione Lolohea, who um, was out with an, an undisclosed injury. We didn't exactly know what was going on, but Smith said it would probably be a couple of weeks uh, yeah. before that Boise State game. And so, you know, you and I were not expecting to see him out there. I, I think we expected that to be, you know, maybe an, another case of, all right, conference play comes around. We're going to get him back in there, but um, good to see Lola Hay out there because he did get in the stat sheet when he came in in the second half, uh, got some pressure on on Jake Hayner. Yeah, yeah. Luke Musgrave left ahead of that final play, call, call, pulled himself out. I couldn't tell if it was a leg or hip. Um, I don't know if it's a hip pointer. Sounds like it could be maybe a couple weeks for him. We don't know, have official word on that, so this is just what we're hearing through our grapevine. But um, like I said, I. He seemed to walk with a limp. I don't know. I thought he pointed to his hip, but somebody else thought he pointed to his leg. We'll see about that. James Rawls 
left, but he did return. Kyrie Fisher. I, I thought Kyrie looked, I couldn't tell if it was a shoulder or wrist. I couldn't tell with him, but um, yeah, it, it looked to me like upper body. He, he laid that big hit on, uh, on, on Jordan Mims yeah. on that running play. And I mean, it was, it was one of those where the two guys are just oh, running collided. right at each other and they just yeah. like, they stop Boom. right there. Cause they're hitting each other so hard. Um, and, and it looked like Kyrie kind of led with his shoulder and, you know, that was what he was favoring as he walked off the field. So I, uh, again, it's it's so hard to tell, you know, when they're moving so quickly and and what they're holding on to, what it is that they hurt. But it it looked like you know a shoulder, upper okay. arm type of thing yeah. with with Kyrie Fisher Morris. Um, another injury that popped up throughout the game was Atticus Sappington, Oregon State's kickoff specialist, uh, seemed to seemed to you know come up uh, with some sort of an injury yeah. on a, a tackle that he made, but he did come back in uh, after the next touchdown and, and kicked off. So. Uh, Sappington returned like Rawls did. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the only injury that popped up in that game that might be concerning long-term might be Musgrave. Musgrave. But, uh, again, we, we won't have more clarity until we hear from Jonathan Smith tomorrow on Monday. You can follow that at beaverbliss.com. We'll have live video, some takeaways, uh, depth chart, injury report, you name it. Uh, all the news from Jonathan Smith's press conference. Monday is a busy day. Monday is a busy day. And I get to drive down. I, I get to make the pilgrimage is how I should say it. The pilgrimage to Corvallis tomorrow. Yep. Angie's commuting tomorrow. I'll be down there on Tuesday. She'll be back on Wednesday as we gather quotes, conduct these interviews. Um, and then, you know, we'll be well on our way to another game week next okay. Saturday. But to close this episode out, Angie, as we always do on these game recap episodes, we have to revisit the keys to the game that we provided in our preview episode. So if you'll remember offensively back on Thursday when we had Jackson Moore on, uh, the insight that he provided us and, and what we knew going into that told me that Oregon State needed to establish the running game. You know, the Beavers needed to get two-dimensional again. It, it, they needed to... Um, you know, to show that, that that's an element of the offense that, while it was a strength a year ago, can still be a strength in 2022. And I think they were really committed to doing so, uh, particularly in the first half when the passing game wasn't wasn't clicking. To come up on the game with 178 yards, it's not incredibly inspiring, but I think four touchdowns is a good sign. I think 4.8 yards per carry is a good sign. How did you feel about how Oregon State was able to establish the running game? Because because I didn't know whether to call this a win or a loss as far as yeah, you know, I mean, that's, if they if they accomplished our key. I mean, that's so we just got done talking about Chance Nolan and his stats not maybe telling the whole story and that he played better than his stats showed. And I would argue that these numbers look better than what I saw from the running game, just because I never felt like Oregon State was going to. I mean, they never did just like, aside from Silas Bolden's reverse, which counts as a running play, I guess, but it wasn't really just a, a running back taking the ball. I, I, I think it's a, a negative. I, I don't think we, I don't think they made, made the goal. I don't think they hit that key. I think it's close. 178 yards, 4.8 yards carry feels good. I mean, it feels okay, but um, I, it just did not feel like it ever got like really going. The point that I that I kind of made to myself when I was like, all right, well, did they do this or did they not? You know, did, did they accomplish this key or 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 not? Was 
that while the production was there at the end of the day, it just wasn't efficient enough no. for me to say the running game is back. You know, the no. offensive line looks dominant again. The, the running backs are, are are hitting the hole and, and you know, getting into that second level with consistency. I just didn't feel like the efficiency was there for me to say with confidence that, you know, this running game is is at the level we expect it to be. And I, and I don't think you and I expect it to be like it was maybe last year or under Jamar Jefferson. I, mm-hmm. that, but that became almost one-dimensional that way. The offense was too right. dependent on the run. But I agree. I, I just can't call this. I don't think they hit this. I would not call this a win. Maybe a, a C minus, a D plus on this okay. because it didn't. It did, like you said, efficient. I think that's the best, the best word to describe it. It just never got going. Seven players ran the ball for Oregon State. The featured back this week, and and it was truly a featured back situation. Yeah. Deshaun Fenwick came in as as running back one and and took nineteen carries, ex- eclipsed the one hundred yard mark with one hundred and two, which tied the second best game of his career. Uh, he had the touchdown as well. So, uh, by all accounts, a, a you know pretty solid game for yeah. for Deshaun to to crack the hundred yards on nineteen carries and find the end zone. Um, he did have that fumble though, so that's his yeah. second time the ball's hit the turf um, in two games. So that's something to watch because that's I know we got it back this time. I just Oregon State running back, you cannot be putting it on the turf if you want to keep that RB one spot. An area for him to clean up for sure, especially when he has a player like Damian Martinez behind him, who you know only I think he only carried the ball three or four times. Jam Griffin. Uh, saw him. his first his first action as a beaver, took a couple of carries, and I, I believe caught a pass as well uh, for about 10 yards. So good to see him get involved. And I, I think we figured he would when we heard the news that Trey Lowe didn't make the trip and, and that Isaiah Newell wouldn't be active. I, I felt like Oregon State was still going to try to rotate guys through. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just didn't do it to the extent that we're used to or, or that we um, that we expected you know, with, with that running back room at, at full strength, the defensive key to the game. And, and we only have a couple of minutes here. So our, our timing is, is good. We're staying on schedule. Our, our, our defensive key to the game was to take advantage of Fresno state's offensive line. And we felt like Oregon state's front seven had a pretty good opportunity to get a ton of pressure on Jake Hanner and, and to really slow down uh, the running game for the Bulldogs because Fresno state's offensive line is, is the weakness of that team. Again, I was on the fence saying whether or not the Beavers came through on this one. I think it's another situation where the numbers look better than than yeah. what actually happened because five quarterback hurries, five tackles for loss, and a sack. Those are all numbers that you know you'd you'd love to see on a weekly basis. But while the production was there, it didn't impact the game enough for me to say that that they really converted on this one. Exactly, exactly. I think if and it was never again consistent. It was not. Um, we didn't see a consistent, I think it got better as the game went war on. I think Oregon state started to kind of feel their dominance up front, um, and kind of exert that. And, it, but like I said, Fresno state did such a good job masking their O-line and also Hayner getting the ball out with the quick hits, the bubble screens. If you guys have been around, you've heard me lament this many times when Oregon state struggled at O-line and they did a very good job, but no, I, I wouldn't say that they, they mastered this either. I, I would say that. I wouldn't necessarily say they're failures for both our keys to the game, but I would say a C minus D plus kind of range. They did. I mean, they did. Okay. It was, it was serviceable, but when it's a key for a game, you want to see in that B A to B range. Yeah, exactly. And again, to the point we made earlier, the fact that Oregon state is still able to win a game against yes. 
what we think is a very good team. This is a Fresno State team that won 10 games last year. That's a favorite to win the Mountain West this year. Um, always very tough at home. For Oregon State to beat that kind of team, even though it's not delivering on our keys, and even though it has these areas that it needs to clean up, um, it's a testament to the improvement that that Jonathan Smith has made, uh, not only as a coach, but um, you know, culture wise and and talent level wise, and and all of these different pillars that you build a program upon. Another the improvement quick take. there is is very clear in that in that regard. And uh, speaking real quick, I know we have to run, but you're talking about culture, and we've talked a lot about how broken this team was five years ago. Um, there was a point where Damian Martinez ran. He got a few yards, I mean, pulled ahead, I mean, probably drugged the pile with him a couple yards, came off the field, and he was greeted by Omar Spates and Kyrie Fisher, two defensive captains who were right there, patting him on the back, talking to talking to him in his ear, really kind of, which is amazing to see when you want your team to be team-led, player-led from both from all facets. And and Coach Smith mentioned that in his post game last night about just how together this team is, whether it's special teams, offense, and defense. And that was so evident on the sideline last night. There's a great example of how this team is and this program is becoming a lot more player-led, which is yeah. something that we heard so much throughout this offseason. Yes. But that's going to wrap things up for us here on this Sunday, this game recap episode of the Damn Podcast. Thanks to everyone uh, for joining us live on YouTube, we actually crushed our record crushed for, for live numbers. concurrent viewers. So um, shout out to everybody who followed us, followed along with us there today. Uh, again, you know, thanks to everyone who's listening on the audio side as well. But we love the engagement that we get in the YouTube chat. And we love being able to fire off our, our quick thoughts to some of the questions that come in. So if you haven't watched us live on YouTube, um, this is, you know, this is the kind of thing that you're going to get. You're going to be able to, you know, talk with with fellow Beaver fans and and get some of our analysis uh, on on the fly. And I want to just give a quick plug too. If you're not a member at Beaver Blitz, yes, the big annual promotion is not on right now, but you can sign up for a month for one dollar right now. It is the place to be. I think our game thread we went over fifteen thousand page views this morning um, on one game thread. That's a, another new record at Beaver Blitz. We're crushing records right now, and the lodge is so much fun right now with all the action. The community is continuing to grow, and we can't thank you enough for the support along the way this season. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun one as it continues to roll along. We'll be back this week with all of our game week content as we preview Oregon State's upcoming matchup with Montana State in Portland. On the, on the damn podcast side of things, we're going to be back on Thursday to preview that game. I don't know if we're going to have an expert on with us because uh, it's, it's always fine. It's always harder to find... Uh, individuals who cover FCS programs, uh, especially since 24-7 Sports doesn't really dive into that as much. But we will be back on Thursday for another episode of The Damn Podcast. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one You can follow me at Carter Baines. Head to beaverblitz.com for game week coverage. And we'll talk to you on Thursday for another episode of The Damn Podcast.